Welcome to the Challenging the Way We Age podcast, hosted by the Mavericks of Senior Living, Francis and Catherine, focusing on creativity, ingenuity, and inspiration to educate and inspire changes in the senior experience, breaking the status quo. We want to thank our supporters, Assured Assisted Living, Serenity App, Sevens Home Care, and Sevens Residential Memory Care. Now get ready for the next episode. Hey Mavericks, thanks for joining us. We were super excited today. We interviewed Steve Moran, publisher at Senior Living Foresight. If you don't know Steve, he's very active on LinkedIn. He writes some really incredible articles. He takes on some super tough topics that a lot of people don't want to touch. We were so excited that we just dove right into our conversation. We talked about aging at home versus moving into a senior care community, affordability. And then we talked about the three biggest challenges that he sees in this industry. So thanks for coming along for the ride. Here we go. Did you guys see the uh, Wall Street Journal article from a couple of days ago? On the boomers want to stay home? Yeah, the boomers want to stay home. Senior housing now faces a budding glut. Um, It's it's interesting for them to say that because all the industry stuff I see says, you know, in fact, Nick's number, occupancy numbers were a tad bit better this last quarter. And so everybody's really hanging their hat on the fact that that the Nick numbers were better and we've got all this population is growing older and we won't have enough senior living buildings to take care of them all, which um, I am almost singularly of belief that they're wrong about that. I think that you are correct. I think what we currently have is already outdated and no one wants to live in those places. And I think that's what we're realizing. And then I also think too, is that home care costs are going to force people into alternative living environments. Because if everybody wants to stay at home right now in the Denver area, we average 30 to 35 an hour for home care services. Yeah. Uh, but I also think we're, we're pricing people out of, assist, of, of any type of senior living, assisted living period. We are, we are. It's a, it's a, it's a big, big problem. So, um, I am not sure where that's all going to uh, um, shake out. I, I, it's, you know, the whole thing is really a mess. I, I, I do think the small resident, I mean, I'm a big fan. And I know this is, you're working, but I'm just a huge fan of the small residential home. Um, I think that it has the single biggest ability to be flexible in price range, frankly. You know, I, I see stuff that is, um, uh, that is, you know, re- that is barely, you know, you could afford with, with, um, with, uh, you know, just social security. I mean, uh, you know, it's very basic, but, and then I see stuff that's crazy luxurious that's ten and $12,000 in the small residential home. There's a, there's a place you've probably been to it because it's your, your neck of the woods. There's a place in Boulder that does memory care and they've, over 15 residents. I think it's the beautiful fi- house. Yeah, it's the boutique one that's up there. I think it's 15 residents, I remember. Yeah, and it's like twelve or fourteen thousand dollars a month. Yeah. I mean, it's just insanely crazy. It's really neat. So I just think that there's this huge range that people have options for, and that that's just really, really good. But so. what what about this idea too that we are used to living in our own residential house, right? And then all of a sudden we go from a single family home to a high rise with a hundred other people. I mean, to me, that kind of, that kind of breaks that philosophy that we were used to living by ourselves and not in this communal type living environment. Yet when we get the need for care, we have to go to a communal environment. 
everybody says they want to stay home. And I get that. But imagine, imagine you were stuck at home and that you couldn't, in fact, um, you know, you couldn't get out to socialize. You couldn't go to churches. You couldn't go to church. You couldn't really get out to, to eat. Um, you were just stuck there. And once a day for two to eight hours, somebody who is completely different ethnicity background, social background, educational background comes in and is your companion to clean your house and give you a bath. Um, is that really, I mean, but you're living in your own home. Is that really what you want? It's all, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's so individualized, uh, uh, I think. And, and it so depends on the setting and sure. the, um, the services that are available that you choose to use and, and how do you take those and create exactly what you need as an individual and maybe they're, they're stepping right. I think is what they were designed for really is to be that stepping stone so that you have the in-home care for a period of time while you're still independent until that point where you can't be. And then maybe, maybe you transition, maybe you don't, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the CCRMC model is in many respects a really good model uh, because it allows people, people typically come in in their mid seventies. They're, they tend to be a big group of, of older people who are active and vibrant and doing things and living life and all those kinds of things, which is really, really terrific. But even there, the, the challenge that I see, there are two challenges that I see in that arena. The first is that uh, I'm not really that crazy about living with a bunch of other old people. I think where I'm, I would like to end up is, is probably, in a uh, some sort of a communal setting where I, but it would be multi-generational and it would be a place where I can be active. um, I can contribute. I can give back. One of the big problems we face is there's huge stigma attached to living in senior living. So um, I, I talked, I know people who are in CCRCs who are still young, who are still productive, who are still working. And once they tell people they work, live in a senior living community, they immediately look, look at them and say, oh, you're one of those old people. And so um, John Cochran at Human Good uh, used to tell this story, maybe he still does, about a resident they had who lived in one of their communities. And he was the, still the CEO of some sort of a tech startup. And he was getting patents and just doing, you know, million dollar, multi-million dollar company. And they wanted to do a story to highlight him because they thought it was really cool. And he refused to do it. He said, if, if, if somebody, if my investors find out I'm living in a senior living community, it'll kill my business. I mean, that's really bad. That's- so, um, you know, and, and, and honestly, when you watch how we senior living providers, we Senior living providers are like the most ageist group of people in the whole world. We treat our residents like cute little people who don't really have anything to contribute. So, uh, you know, David Stewart at Aegis talks about how as people are aging and the research they're doing, they want two things. They want to be able to be the best me and they want to stay relevant. And when you think about it, what senior living does is makes it harder to be the best me and they make senior residents really super irrelevant. So we just talked about how we don't want to live in a senior living community because it's a bunch of old people. But now we're talking about the stigma of living in senior communities. We have to get away from this idea. It's patient centric. It's person centric where 
they need to have purpose, whether that purpose is folding laundry, sweeping the deck, doing repairs around the, the, the residence, whatever, cutting the lawn. Uh, I think we have to go back to that methodology is just because you're a resident doesn't mean you can't participate and support your community. So I, I think it's, um, those are example activities, but those aren't the activities. And I think it depends on what drives you. So if I was an accountant in life, maybe I want to help with the books. Or um, if I was, uh, I don't even know, a teacher, maybe I want to do, in a teach some classes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, yeah. So those are, yeah. Purpose, yeah. Right? And that's what I was getting at is it's, it's, I, yeah, those are probably the wrong ones to use. Cause I agree. I think what maybe 5% of people actually enjoy cutting their lawn maybe and picking up dog food. I love cutting the lawn. That's right. A sense of accomplishment. You I did? loved it. Yeah. Well, then that's great. That's great. Then that's great. You can come home, mow my lawn. <laughs> Actually, right. I've got a guy who I paid it because I don't get much enjoyment of it. No, but, but, I, but, but I, got, I guess, the, and I, the, but the, here's the other thing that, that I don't really hear people talking about very much is um, I go to church in a church that's fairly aging. Mm -hmm. And what I don't know is I, I think there's a re reality that we don't actually, I, I think the purposeful living is terrific. And I think senior living operators have an obligation to both create and inspire opportunities for purposeful living. But I'm not sure. I think there are a lot of people out there that actually don't have much interest in doing more than being just entertained and sitting. And you've got to figure out how to sort of, how, We've got to recognize that not everybody is the same, and maybe not everybody really wants purpose. We can't force purpose on people who don't want purpose, right? Yeah. And so I don't know why I don't see anybody talking about that. And I'm a big believer in this purpose thing, and so it's really hard for me to go there. But I, I think we have to look at that and say, what is you know, what do we do with that? Do we just accept that? Are there things we can do to enhance that life? I don't know. I think that what you're hitting on is it comes down to every single individual person and what does that person need and want? And you can't force, there was an article recently on, um, and it might've been you, Steve, who shared it. So tell me if it was on, um, the fact that if you were an introvert in life, you don't suddenly become an extrovert when you go into senior living. And now suddenly you want to participate in every activity there is. If you were an introvert, you want to hang out in your room. That's what you do. That's your life. It, it's what you know. Your friends, you know, family, et cetera, will come visit you. But you can't force everyone into one box. It's a really complicated problem. Um, I, I had friends that, that whose father lived in a senior living community, and they really struggled because he just would not go down and participate in activities. And he, you know, and he didn't have a lot of desire. And of course, the senior living community, they go to him, they say, hey, Marvin, you know, we're doing this thing. You want to come down? No, I don't want to come down. Well, to some degree, you've got to figure out how to balance that. and You've got to make some assessments. So did he not come down because he was an introvert and it would have been bad for him? Or did he not come down because they weren't doing the things that really met his needs? And I think that the question is, is, you know, do I, as a senior living operator, do I actually really take the time to figure out and say, you know, what is it that's going to make, make, make my, my resident the best me that they can be, that they want to be? 
And I don't know that just saying, go do whatever you want to do and we're going to help it is good enough. I think that sometimes it's to inspire people. I think sometimes it's to give people ideas. I think, uh, it, I think it's really complex and it's not, it's not easy. I mean, I've got a, you know, if I, I'm going to shift to the employee side, if I've got an employee who's a care aide for me and they've come to this note, come to this idea that all they can ever be is a care aide, but maybe there's this tiny little, you know, uh, mustard seed size idea that that's, they'd like to be more than that, but they don't really think it could happen. Should I just accept that and say, okay, they can't, that's the best they're going to be. And that's all they're great. They're, they're not dreaming any bigger than being a care aide or maybe a lead care aide. Or do I look at that and do I have an obligation to say, let's see if we can figure out how we can help you go to whatever next step you want to go. Yeah. And so there's a couple things there. One, and one in particular is how realistic is it for us to create individualized attention the way that we just talked about? So for this particular individual in a big box, we assess, are they an introvert or are, can we entice them to come out to this group and meet their needs better when we have a hundred residents that we have to do that for and we have a shortage of employees and they're turning over all the time. But going off of what Steve said with the employee aspect, could it be that because we are not inspiring them to think bigger than just being a care aide, that we are having this turnover issue, that, that we're not really empowering them to go beyond that? Exactly. And I think that's the second part. And I was just rereading one of your articles, Steve, I think from May about, do we really have a caregiver shortage or do we have a problem with how we're treating our employees and training our employees? Oh, and the question that, that we have a we have a turnover problem. The turnover problem is much bigger than the um, than the recruitment problem because if the recruitment problem would be manageable if we did a better job of taking care of our our team members, we tend to substitute programs for caring. And what I mean by that is we love to buy you know an employee uh, a, a an employee reward program so you'd be not somebody gives you a coupon you go buy a jacket or a starbucks card or something or we have these programs but i think that mostly when you look at really great care cultures it's because there's some leadership at the very top that says i'm just crazy nuts insane about helping people have the be the best me in in their job i've actually got an article that's about maybe only 100 page 100 words written that sort of tackles this issue of you know what does it mean to be the best me as an employee and do i really care or do i just want them to do my job do your job and then go home and i'll pay you a check for that that's a cool way to yeah, look at it that's fantastic because i think as you said earlier you you can do it for both be the mess best me as an employee, but then make sure that that employee is helping that resident be the best me as well too. So I think that's a pretty, very profound and, and will have some positive impact once implementation of that begins to occur. So Steve, yeah. um, take the 60,000 foot view of senior care. What do you think the three biggest challenges are that we need to disrupt? To disrupt, I don't know exactly how to answer it, but I'll give you sort of three things that I think are really significant. I think that if we could figure out how to create a, a kind of senior living product that was multi-generational and would allow me to still be the best me, uh, but live in a more congregate setting, I think that could be a, a, a huge win. But we still face this idea that 
you know, every every data point you look at says people would rather stay in their age in their old home. So how do you change that paradigm where people go, oh, yeah, I, you know, I actually probably would be really better off if I live in a more congregate or communal environment. So I think that the being able to maybe tell that story in a way that is really compelling uh, is, is a big challenge. Um, I think that uh, I think the other thing is that we just don't know what having having a great life at 70 and an active life at 70 and 80 really looks like. I mean, it's never happened before in, in, in history, right? So we're all trying to figure this out together because we don't really have a model for what that looks like. And then I think the third thing is that's really significant is we've got to figure out how to, um, how to solve the staffing problem. And even when the economy was not so good and the unemployment rate was higher, uh, staffing was still a problem. Turnover, it was, it, was, it was not as big a problem because it was easier to hire people, but people didn't like their jobs anymore. They weren't any more enthusiastic about it. And if we can, I think if we can get the, the employee thing right, what will happen is we'll make residents, uh, will be more independent, they'll be happier. Uh, team members' jobs will be easier and they'll actually love coming to work. I mean, when you think about it, it, it ought to be the best job in the whole world, right? You get to come in and you spend, yeah, you got work to do, you know, you know, giving baths and cleaning houses, but you get to have all these great conversations with people. And, um, and so I think figuring that out, so it becomes more of an ecosystem. I mean, maybe we need, maybe the communal living needs to be some sort of a, uh, a subsidized housing for part of the community and then residents in part of the community and the housing would be very different, modest for the that, but, but in a way to make it economic and you can provide meals. I don't know. I, I think there's, I think there are going to be, I don't think there's a single solution. I do think that the small, uh, Francis, that you're doing the smaller residential model, um, has serious legs. There are just tons of opportunities out there. I just think the big message is, um, doing it the way we've always, uh, done it and expecting to make buckets of money is the wrong way to look at it. Yes. You're, that is what we totally agree with. You're, you're singing from our sheets of music over here. I do agree with you, Steve. The idea of reinventing, not reinventing, but looking at how we have more communal living between staff and the team and the residents, that has to be brought into play. And I think you could find a way to make a portion of it affordable for the staff members. Having affordable housing for your team within that same community could be paramount for that culture and that sense, a true sense of intergenerational community. And that's definitely something we're trying to figure out is how do you actually do that and, you know, begin to kind of almost redesign your developments of not just senior developments, but your housing developments in general. There was an article, gosh, I can't remember where it is. I think I've still got a bookmark someplace that I'm, because I'd like to write about it, but there's a tech company that's actually providing um, sort of almost dorm-like communal living for, you know, mostly these young, uh, single, 20-something tech folks. Where oh, I saw, yes. And dining and stuff. And, uh, and, and, and th they don't really look very much like the work frontline workforce in senior livings. And so I don't think you could do it exactly like that. But I, I find myself, you know, wondering, there may be some lessons in that. You know, how do you, you know, could you create? Um, could you create a series of small, you know, five or six hundred square foot small homes where people could live in them on the campus, and 
and think about it. You have a school there and you have kids playing and you've got the older residents and it might be pretty cool. It'd be amazing. I, t- I think so too. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of people talk about the intergenerational aspect. I don't know how many people are doing it. Yeah. But, but I'm actually really optimistic. I think we're, I think we, it's really, really messy right now. And I think the messiness is actually great news because it means we have uh, lots of opportunity to experiment and try new stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. So we like to end our podcasts with a couple of things. Um, one, how are you creating hope today for senior care? So I think that we do two things. I'm always dreaming and um, asking people to think about how they're doing it. I'm feeding resources sometimes in the industry of people who are doing cool things and sometimes things from outside the industry that I think could be adapted for senior living. Um, I am, uh, you know, it's funny because I think that people sort of see me as almost the conscience of senior living where I talk about the hard truths and address the, uh, address some of the stuff that nobody really wants to talk about. And I think that's a fair assessment, but I think that I'm also very positive. Um, I try to, when I tackle hard stuff to offer solutions and paths to get better. And, uh, and I know, that, and I, frankly, I know that we're making a difference. I, I talk to readers all the time or say, you know, we read that article and that really helped us, or we're trying this thing, or you got us thinking about uh, something we hadn't really thought about before. And, and that's really cool. It's, it's really cool to know that we're making a difference in these organizations. So how, yeah. if people want to learn more about you and what you do, where can they find you? Oh, of course, I love that question. So you go to Senior Living Foresight, all one word, dot net, or you Google uh, Senior Living and Steve Moran, and I will pop up on your Google search right at the top or near the top. Um, but we have sort of a couple of ways. I'm very active on LinkedIn, and so uh, following me on LinkedIn is, or the Senior Living Foresight page on LinkedIn is a terrific way. We also have a really um, uh, fairly active uh, Facebook group called Senior Living Leadership. We've got about 2,000 members in it. We see interesting posts in there almost every day, and we've seen some posts with a lot of back and forth and conversation. And so, you know, if you're a leader in senior living and you're really passionate about, you know, both learning and helping other people, that's a great place to go. Awesome. Terrific. Steve, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you being here. Yes. You bet. Uh, appreciate your, uh, the opportunity to come and uh, chat with you.